Thank you so much for listening, my souls, to yours. A place where we connect our souls and share our stories. I am your host, Maricelis, and today we have a special guest. His name is Elliot. He's a dad to three for kids, a writer, a suicidal loss survivor, and his goal is to share his experience in helping others as well as to continue to heal his own loss and trauma. Thank you, Elliot, so much for coming by and sharing your story. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Hi, thank you for uh, having me on. It's definitely an honor. Um, I am 30. I live in uh, the western part of the U.S. Uh, it's very hot here, by the way. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I kind of went on this journey. I uh, I lost a few friends to suicide, and in my own grief and trauma, and you know, trying to heal from all that, um, I wanted to try to make something good from the pain. And so I decided that. You know, I can't bring them back, but I can still help people who are here. And that is my mission. If it's just to help one person, then it's worth all the effort that it takes. So that's that's amazing, because as for me, I try suicidal thoughts in the past or, you know, I, I have a trauma where I wanted to end my life. I don't want to continue any longer. So I truly appreciate you being here and try to help others who are currently trapped in suicidal thoughts or in a situation where all these suicidal thoughts are controlling their life. What are some of the things that you actually did to kind of overcome that loss of your friends? How, how long ago was that? Uh, the first loss was in 2016. Um, I came home to find that my roommate had shot her boyfriend five times and then ended her own life. And then um, I started on this really bad path of drinking. I couldn't cry sober. And so I just drank more and more. And a buddy of mine, um, he was a medic firefighter. Actually, all three of them were EMT firefighters. And he noticed the downward spiral and he said, hey, you know, I understand what you're going through. You know, I understand PTSD. You're going down a bad way and I'm worried about you. So he encouraged me to get help. I wasn't ready at the time. <laughs> But uh, I finally did get help, and then in August of 2018, uh, he ended his life as well. And wow. it felt like all of the courage and the hope that he gave me crumbled in my hands. And so I luckily have an amazing therapist. She's a trauma therapist. Um, she's been working in the field for over a decade, I believe. And she still goes to trainings um, to further the tools that she has to help her clients and that's helped a lot um just having you know people to talk to you also helps because sometimes people don't want to bring up their names because they think oh we're just going to make you sad and that's the farthest from the truth you know um but yeah those are just a couple of things that helped um i have a peer support as well who's basically a watered down therapist is the best way i can put it and uh, three weeks in an inpatient facility also helped. <laughs> um, yeah. You gave me goosebumps with how someone was trying to help you. And unfortunately, he didn't help himself. Yeah. That, 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 that to me, it's, and you know, something that you just mentioned, I was an alcoholic myself and you said you couldn't cry being sober. So now I understand so many things on why people drink when they're going through trauma because they just can't cry being sober. Yeah, and it's also, it's yeah. an escape, you know, I would drink and at first you start off happy, you know, you're dancing across the dance floor of whatever bar you're in and you're having a good time. 
And at the end of the night, I wound up at one friend's grave just crying. And I, I blame myself. You know, you guys are dead because of me. And Why did you blame was, yourself? Um, Before, so I, obviously I've changed their names just for the purpose of, you know, their privacy. But I refer to her as Amelia. I'm the one who first lost. And a friend and I were out of town um, for a couple days and she had called Saturday, which is the day that they died. And she basically asked, you know, hey, have you guys been home? We're like, no, we're still, you know, out. And she said something about the dogs, like having been in the kennel, but they weren't or something along those lines. And we said, okay, well, you know, we left a firearm there. So you know, check the house <laughs> and, you know, would you like us to come home? And as soon as we suggested coming home, her attitude changed like, oh, I'm just overreacting. Everything's fine. And in my head, I said, okay, something's wrong. We need to go home. But the friend who was with me, you know, she had known her for probably 20 years, maybe 16 years, something like that. And I thought, well, if she thought there was something wrong, then we'd be going home. And so I didn't say anything. And the next night, uh, we came home and found them. And in the back of my head at the time, I said, you know, I should have said something because maybe we could have helped, you know, even even if we got there, you know, after he was already gone, you know, we could have at least helped somehow. And I blame myself for that. And it took me, it, it ended up being to the point that I was so out of my mind that I was convinced that if any kind of God exists, if I ended my life, then he would give them back. I was convinced of it, as sure as I am, that my dogs are the cutest dogs in the whole wide world. <laughs> and I ended up in an inpatient facility for three weeks. Wow. Yeah. And at one moment you decided to get a therapist. Like at one moment you decided to say, I can't take this any longer, I need help. Yeah, I was half, I don't want to cuss on your podcast. I was half butting it, <laughs> trying to find help. Um, you know, and I, I kind of try, but I was also, half of me wanted to try to get help and half of me believed, well, this is your fault. You don't deserve help. And when I went to the inpatient facility, I finally said, you know what? A therapist who's competent with trauma. And they said, okay, you know, we'll find you one. And by the time that I left, um, I had an appointment made and from the very first session, you know, she said, I'm not going to, I don't give every single, you know, client the same tools. You know, I, I go according to you and where you're at. And from the first session we had, she has been, she, she said, you know, right now you can't hold the lantern yourself as you get yourself through your darkness. I'll hold it for you. And she has done so ever since. And there's days where it feels like, you know, it's, it's frustrating. As I said, I still feel like I'm standing there waiting for them to get up. And she said, that's okay, because you're healing in other ways and eventually we'll get to the shock and the denial, but you're healing in other ways and that's okay. So. How did you deal with the alcoholism? Like what made you stop? I think the last straw was um, I had been drinking. <laughs> And I called a buddy and I said, hey, uh, do you mind getting me to the cemetery? I'll give you some gas money. And he's like, yeah, I'll be there in like 20 minutes. He got there and I was in my doorway just throwing up. And the next morning I woke up and my dog was licking up my vomit. And that was my last straw. And I said, you know what? 
if I don't stop this now, I will wind up in AA. And so I, I just, I got it through my head, you know, I can't do this anymore. I can't continue like this. And luckily, you know, I can, like, I have various alcohol in my house. I don't feel the need to drink. I can have a drink or two or none, and I'm happy with that. I just know that I can't get intoxicated. Do it's not a good place. So I'll have like a, so you know how to control it now. Yes, and I'll just I'll have a beer for making tacos or something. But it's very rare I even do that because it's such a slippery slope, and I don't want to go down that road again. That is true because as a recovery myself, I know when to stop. You know, I I have a glass of wine, and I know if I continue then it's going to go the wrong path. So like, you have to be mentally prepared that if you know you're going to continue something you had issues with in the past, you know how to control it already. And also, exactly. you know, surround yourself with people who who support you because I had to cut some people off because they know I had alcohol problems and they would just continue to just, let's go, you, you know, let's go out, let's drink, 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 drink. And it wouldn't like make me stop. They would just like encourage me to continue. And I'm like, okay, you're my friend. And you know, you see the things that I do in the times when I'm drunk and you just don't support me to stop. And I'm telling you that I need help. And instead of them, you know, encourage me to to seek help, they will encourage me to drink more. And that's what I have to get rid of people. That's a very common thread, unfortunately. And part of it is just the society that we're in. You know, unless you're drinking, you can't have fun, you know. And part of it also is when those people don't have the same struggles. It's hard for them to understand. Like, I'm not excusing it, right. but it's harder for them to understand why it's such a big deal to us. And sometimes, you know, I had to explain to a few friends because they're like, we're not going to encourage you, but like, we don't understand why you're not the party guy we used to know. And I said, if I sit here and drink like I used to, I'm eventually going to end up ending my own life because I don't go into a good headspace. And when I go to my friend's grave, I don't want to do it when I'm crying and drunk and upset. I want to do it, you know, I want to bring her sunflowers and watch the sunrise or, you know, if something really excited happened, I want to go and tell her about it, not go at two o'clock in the morning when I'm drunk off my rear end and upset. How was the grieving process? It's It's been, it's been kind of rough. Um, ironically, starting my own podcast, um, has has kind of forced me to face everything. I am actually going through the grieving process that I should have been going through years ago. Um, it's it's been this weird mixture of feeling, you know, shock and trying to put the pieces together. Um, I've requested, you know, the police report and everything, and it's this balance of okay what answers can i find to make this make sense because nothing is ever going to make it okay nothing is ever going to excuse what happened and there's been a lot of stuffing away the anger and that's something my therapist and i are actually trying to work on is you know she said you only get angry when there's so much going on but then as soon as you start feeling it you stuff it down you take it on yourself and she said, it's okay to be mad at her. It doesn't mean that, you know, you don't still care about her. And even, you know, my buddy. And it's been it's been very difficult um, in, in that kind of sense when your emotions are going from shock to anger to sadness to just wondering, how does this even happen? You know? 
Yeah, I, I completely understand because I, I lost uh, my cousin brother who was murdered about five months ago. And we were so angry. We were in shock. Like we're still grieving and we couldn't process why would they take his life? Why him? And, you know, we didn't question God, but we asked God so many times, why? Why? Yeah. And and we couldn't, we couldn't just process it. Like the grieving, you know, we're still grieving because we just in shock. Like we just still can't believe it. And in that, in that moment, I was, I was writing my memoir and while I was dealing with my trauma from the past, I was dealing with grieving at the same time. So I just couldn't understand it. Like, like I was so angry and I was so mad. You know, we, we didn't get any justice. I was just so upset and we're still mad. Like we're, we're just so angry that, you know, things went that way. And, you know, I never questioned God, but sometimes I ask why, you know, why things happened the way they did. So, you know, the grieving part, it's really hard. And a lot of people might not understand how you're feeling unless they go through a grieving process. Yeah. And, and I have told, you know, my peer support, my therapist, you know, I appreciate their support. They're absolutely amazing people. I said, but it's different when, you know, someone who has been through suicide loss also understands the different kind of way to connect. And even with, you know, like, I'm so sorry about your loss that, and that's the hardest part is we get to a point where you know, we might have factual, you know, answers. We might have toxicology reports. We might have a motive, you know. We might have pieces of the truth, but we are never going to fully know why. And that is the most frustrating part is, you know, whether it's a murder or whether it's, you know, suicide, that why is never going to fully be answered. There's always going to be questions. Wow. And that is, so that is, you know, that is the most infuriating part because it's like you you can't quite understand and wrap your head around it but you kind of have to with whatever answers you do have right. because it, it eventually just starts consuming you to the point that that's all you think about now do you have ptsd from everything you've been through oh yeah i oh, had a, ptsd yeah. before this actually and now well, what are your triggers how do you manage your triggers um well living alone helps with a few of them <laughs> <laughs> um for example, I if I come home and there's a porch light on, I'm going to assume there's at least one dead person inside that residence. Yeah. So I live alone. I don't use my porch light. There's lights around the complex so I can see, you know, safely enough to get up the stairs and, you know, get into my apartment. Um, people laying in certain positions also freaks me out. So <laughs> dating should be fun. Um, the smell of bleach is another thing. Um, the cleanup process was interesting. I did not realize that bleach does not technically take care of those things, but you know, whatever. You gotta do what you gotta do. And um, I'm I'm the kind of person that, you know, when I can put the depression aside and actually clean, I like to make sure things are clean. So I've had to find very creative ways to uh, mask the scent of the bleach with like essential oils and, you know, all kinds of different things. And I also like the sight of blood can't do it um there's a very strange shade of brown um that your cerebral fluid is and that like if i see a liquid in that same color it turns my stomach um if i hear like fireworks or a gunshot i imagine without getting into too much detail um because i know how all three of them died um i imagine what happened when they did die to put it as lightly as I can. 
I mean, I can I can only imagine, you know, like if you see blood and things like that. So are you able to cope with it? Like, are you able to manage it or are you still working in that process? Because you I'm know your triggers already, so. I'm definitely still working through them. There's actually, this was probably a couple weeks ago. I forget what it was, but there, like, I'm still discovering triggers that I didn't realize I had. And when you do, it kind of pisses you off because you think, okay, it's been so long. Why do I still care? You know, I should be over this. But then you remind yourself, okay, well, I haven't been introduced to this thing yet. Honestly, I don't have a way of knowing if it's a trigger. And some triggers are easier, you know, like the, the sight of blood. A paper cut used to freak me out. And now, you know, if there's a little bit of blood, it's a little bit more okay. It's still, I have to kind of take a breath still, <laughs> but it's not, it's not as bad. And I hope that that does continue to get better because I was planning on becoming an EMT firefighter myself. And do you write things as, down? Like when you when you feeling triggered, do you write things down? Do you go for a walk? What are some of the things that you do when some triggers arise and you're feeling, you know, overwhelmed? Um, <laughs> it's a 50-50 shot on whether I have a panic attack or whether I'm able to kind of work through it. A lot of it um, that has been starting to help is just being mindful of my breathing, looking around at, you know, if I'm, let's say that I go to a friend's house and they were using bleach to clean, then my next step is okay. So I don't get, so I don't, you know, get stuck in what happened before. I'll look around me and I'll try to touch something and ground myself to the present moment so I don't get thrown back to where I was. And it's hard it's really hard because you're you know you have this trigger going on but you're trying to remind yourself that you know you're safe and it's okay and this is where you are right now and it takes a lot of practice but it does help i am so happy that you you know at least you know your triggers because or you know you try to discover your triggers because many people have ptsd or you know experience a traumatic event and they are so afraid to find the triggers or get help for some reason you know we get so scared to seek help so if you know that someone is struggling with certain emotional difficulties as you did what would you recommend what would you tell them oh goodness <laughs> i could write a book um <laughs> go for it <laughs> i'm not gonna say the cliche of like oh it's gonna get better because that same crap pisses me off mm. obviously it's gonna get better but right now it's not and I'm not going to sit there and tell someone, oh, think of the people that you love. Because when we are in that headspace of not wanting to be here anymore, our mind is telling us, well, you're just a burden anyway. They'll get over it. So telling people, well, think of the ones you love. It's like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. That's why I don't want to be here anymore. And I know that finding resources is hard. It's especially with, you know, the way that health insurance companies are and co-pays and just all the things plus COVID makes things just so lovely. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but there are resources there. And sometimes we have to start with a support group, whether that's in person or over Facebook or, you know, I don't know whether social medias are out there because even though I'm 30, I'm still not caught up on all that because I'm old. But, you know, even just starting with those and I got to a point, I was calling suicide hotline saying, hey, I'm not suicidal. I'm just trying to find help. Where, right. What number can you give me? A website you can give me? What, what can we do? 
And even if, and if you can't do that, ask a friend. You know, if we, we think that we're a burden to those around us and it's very hard to convince ourselves that we're not. But I will say from having been on both sides of this fence, I've been suicidal since middle school. I've had a plan since middle school. Um, I can't use that plan because I know what bullets do now. And, you know, we get stuck in this thing of I'm just a burden. But I will tell anybody out there struggling, I would have physically carried my friends through the darkest of darkness they were going through if it meant they'd still be here. When when people care about you and they love you, you are not a burden no matter how low and how worthless and how empty you feel. You are absolutely not an effing burden. And it's okay to lean on people and ask them, hey, I need help trying to find help. Or hey, I think I need to go to an inpatient facility. Or hey, I'm just not having a good day. Can you talk? You know, whatever it is that you need, it's okay to reach out. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you a burden. And if they say, oh, I'm kind of busy, then just reiterate, hey, like, this is more than just a rough day. I'm, I'm really not doing okay. And, and be honest with them and tell them where your headspace is. And most likely, you know, if they could move heaven and earth, they'll be there. You know, not everyone can because of work, but, you know, someone will be there. And again, it's okay to say, hey, I'm not doing okay. You know, we would rather be there for you and set aside whatever's going on in our lives if it means that you're still going to be here because you do matter. And whatever you're going through is very valid. I, you know, I appreciate so much what you just said because there's so many people at that, you know, at the moment struggling with suicidal thoughts. And you know, I had a friend who who said to me, "You're just being selfish. There's really nothing wrong with you. Anxiety, depression doesn't exist." What do you tell people who who don't believe in in suicidal thoughts or depression or anxiety or PTSD? Like it's all in your head. What do you tell people like that? So if you were to ask me this as a friend and not like a podcast interview, I'd be giving you a very different answer. But for the sake of being professional, um, <laughs> you can't stuff that anger down because, you know, <laughs> jail is not a, a pleasant place from what I hear. Um, some people, they don't understand because they don't go through it. And some generations and some cultures, it's, you know, we'll just man up and just deal with it. And for some people, we can't do that. And depression and PTSD, you know, they are chemical imbalances. And PTSD, when you do brain scans, it does show up. It's it's almost like a brain injury. You know, it's these, the things that we're going through have biological effects. And my therapist does somatic experiencing, which is kind of the school of thought that our trauma is stored in our body. And... I've had to approach people with this kind of logic and I'll tell them, you know, about an exercise that her and I did one day. And I was standing on one side of the room and she approached me from the left, the right, and then just, you know, straight on. And she says, you know, I'm going to take a couple steps forward and notice what your body is doing. And so from the left, I was just like, okay, no big deal. From the right, there was a lot of tension and my heart would race and my throat would kind of close up. And then from dead on, it wasn't as bad, but she was also kind of blocking the door. So that was kind of part of it. And we got to talking about all these things and about these body sensations. 
and she's and we also talked about you know the traumas I've been through and I realized most of my traumas have happened to the right side of me finding my friends they were to my right my stepbrother would sneak into my room at night and the door was to the right and all these different things you know finding my dog after three very badly raised dogs came to my grandma's yard and killed her she was to my right and she said that's why because me approaching you from your right is activating that trauma response and even though you know it's safe your mind doesn't know that or your body doesn't know that and so it sees me as a threat even though clearly she's not <laughs> that's so interesting and so explaining that to people that kind of makes them think for a second and then it starts a conversation because then they realize okay it's not just in your head and it's not and even with depression it's not just in our head you know there stand people that speaks for others if i always tell people if you've never been through a traumatic experience or event or you never been through anything that made you feel like someone else don't don't comment negativity on it i just feel like it's it's just so ignorant when i see on social media where why you have ptsd if what you went through was 10 years ago or you was a child why are you still depressed it's it's so it's so inhuman in a bit to tell someone how how should you feel or how something that you went through should make you feel it's so it's so inhuman to me like don't tell me if i should be depressed or if i should have ptsd you really think that we want to be depressed so you really think we want to go through our life with ptsd you know if you really haven't been through a situation don't don't speak on it don't don't speak on it and it was interesting with how you explain it and you broke it down that's definitely a way to to explain to certain you know negative or ignorant people that don't understand the mental process that a traumatic event might put you through so definitely and i know you have a podcast right I do, yes. What's the podcast about? What's your intent for your podcast? Um, so it, it's not officially launched yet. I had an internet issue, so I'm finally able to start recording episodes so I can actually launch it. But it's called the 10-526 Project. Um, Amelia, the friend from the first loss, uh, her station number was 10. And then my buddy, uh, his badge number was 526. Wow. And so even though, you know, they do come up in the podcast, obviously... I've still changed their names just because I don't think their families would want their names attached to their stories because they were much more than what happened to them. Right. But naming that podcast was my way of honoring them. Because now, and I feel resentment for this, you know, them ending their lives kind of forced me into a position to where no matter how many days I wake up and don't want to be here anymore, I can't do the same thing to my family. And so there's some resentment there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. There are days I wake up and I'm like, really? You know, you got to escape your crap and I'm I'm still here stuck with mine. This is bull crap. And, you know, it, it it's rough, but um but yeah, it's basically a podcast about suicide loss and um just sharing, you know, my own journey through it. Um I've briefly mentioned to my therapist that I'd like to bring her on for a couple episodes to talk about the somatic experiencing and trauma. Um, I have a season where I want to interview people who have lost a loved one to suicide and basically um, each episode will be that person telling listeners about their loved one, you know, beyond how they ended their life. But, you know, what is your favorite memory with your loved one and, you know, meaningful questions and also, you know, how have you been healing since this loss? Um, 
and then another um, season I would like to even just anonymously interview first responders and talk about the problem of a lot of them try to get help and they get fired which I think like that infuriates me to to no end um, but you know I have example questions for them you know of even if they, they can be anonymous they don't have to give me their name and same goes with anybody um, who I'll have on there um, but I just I want to raise, raise awareness and let people know that whatever you're going through you're not alone whether you are having suicidal thoughts or whether you've lost a loved one or both you know it will be okay you'll survive this doesn't feel like it right now but you will survive this and I wish that when I you know first experienced these losses I wish that I had someone to tell me that you know how you're feeling isn't weird you know it's okay for you to feel this way or for you to think this way and I've gone all these years thinking okay some of this stuff is really weird and then come to find out it's not weird people just don't talk about it right do you feel why there's certain people that don't talk about it I feel like part of it is the stigma mm-hmm. because when you lose a loved one to suicide people say oh that was so selfish of them and you want to throat punch them <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you absolutely. really want to throat punch them like very hard um, and that's like the first thing you want to do to them right and so people don't really talk about it and then people say oh I understand grief you know I, I lost a cousin in a car accident and it's like okay your grief is valid but it's not the same thing Suicide loss is a very different kind of grief. And yeah, a lot of similar elements to it, but it's, again, a very different kind of grief. And people, you know, we don't want to talk about it because we don't want the stigma. And we don't want people telling us, oh, your loved one was so selfish. How could they do that? It's like, how about you let me feel the anger and you take your judgment and you can shove it where the sun doesn't shine. That's what you can do. That's so true because a lot of people, when they mention, you know, I'm feeling suicidal, a lot of people don't take them serious. They think it's a joke. Oh, if you're going to do it, you're not going to tell anybody. So I feel like a lot of people do get judged if they do come out and, you know, ask a friend or tell a friend, hey, you're not feeling suicidal. It's like sometimes you have to be careful too who, who, you know, you open up to because as for me, like I mentioned, when I was feeling suicidal and, and, you know, at some point, I, I, you know, I took pills and I have a daughter who was going through suicide attacks and, you know, she was cutting herself and she ended up in a facility for teens. So it's definitely, it is it's a, it's a quiet moment because I didn't know she was being suicidal. I didn't know she was trying to take pills. I didn't know that she was cutting herself until one time I seen all her cuts in her arms and, you know, I had to call the best team, which the, men, the best team in Boston, it's, it's a place where they come to your house and they see what's going on and they transfer you to a, you know, a hospital, the emergency room and they treat you there and they find a mental hospital. So it's definitely, they're so quiet, you know, and that made me feel like, wow, I'm being a bad mom. I didn't know that my daughter was being, you know, trying to commit suicide many times. And she was there for a week and she was able to express herself and tell the, you know, the doctor, the therapist, how she was feeling. And she's in a better place because I had to change many things about myself that was causing her feel so overwhelmed right that she was not able to open and telling me hey mom i'm feeling suicidal and a lot of peer pressure too and i still have a little ptsd in putting pills in my cabinets right or is she having her door closed for too many times or she's too quiet 
or she's in a bathroom for too long i'm like oh my god is she okay so i just i have to go in there make sure she's fine because even though she you know she's getting help or she got help that's still in my mind it's still in my mind that you know she might be here today but tomorrow she's not so it's definitely a struggle for me to know that one of my children was trying to take their life away yeah and elliot if you could change something in the world what would it be and why that is a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Honestly, I I feel like one of the root problems is so many people are so stressed and angry. You know, we're overworked, we are, you know, overstressed. Life is all about this toxic positivity of, you know, always be happy and don't don't bring my vibes down and you know productivity like there's so many youtube videos on how to get the most production out of an hour you know here's how you can do 50 things in one hour and be productive and you know you have to hustle 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 and we've forgotten that it's okay to be human you know and all this anger we have we take it out on each other whether it's through killing people or, you know, through just nasty words. And we're not taking our anger out on the right people. It's the people who are in charge of our lives, basically, that we're angry at. But we're destroying each other. And that's not to say we should all become, you know, delicate little flowers. Because we shouldn't. We, you know, we still have to, you know, have a little bit of backbone. But having just a little bit more compassion and redirecting all that anger and stress would help us become better humans towards each other. And whether that's, you know, a conversation about a disagreement that people have, you know, oh, I see things this way, but I see things that way. But, you know, if that conversation can be, you know, polite, <laughs> I guess. Right. And that also affects the stigma of mental health. You know, we're all stressed. We're all going through something. But that doesn't mean that someone else is weaker than you just because they can't push through. And I think that it is important to recognize the people who can push through. They're special unicorns because I, I for one, there's just certain things I can't. But to put them on a pedestal for those of us who can't just push through and grow up here, we just get quieter. Cause, because we're like, well, they're getting all kinds of praise and recognition and everything else and we're just asking for help and we're told we'll be more like this person they're pushing through mm. and that is a huge thing with people who, who don't ask for help it's because again it's like well we don't want to be a burden and dampen your you know positivity party but it, it comes down to all the stress and anger we carry around all day and we're destroying each other and we're destroying ourselves and nothing is going to change about mental health until we start changing as people Wow, that's amazing. Is there any red flags or any symptoms that we as a person or a friend should look for in a friend that might be suicidal? Is, is there any like red flags or symptoms? So I, I'll preface this with the fact like the just the, I guess, disclaimer that there are not always signs. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of these signs, to be honest with you, are just signs of depression and you know when we have a friend who's you know kind of withdrawing you know i do that all the time and for me it's not a red flag because i do it all the time and some people they're just depressed and they withdraw a little bit um you know giving you know significant 
personal items away that you know are important or even not important you know that's one of the big ones because that's like okay like the other signs you know of you know withdrawing and you're kind of looking like a homeless hobo maybe take a shower for the first time in two weeks because you also stink but then you're adding you know all these different signs together and now you know maybe someone's giving away personal belongings but that's also not a common thread like it used to be um at least from my experience um but you know if all these certain signs start adding up and your gut is telling you that something is off go by your gut and for those who you know again some people have those signs but they're going through depression and they're like oh i'm just depressed i'll pull out of it and maybe they have before and you're like okay well you've come out of it before so i'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and you know i'm here for you and then if they do end up ending their lives it does, it still does not make it your fault because and a, lot of, and, and a, a lot of people are judging people nowadays for you know why are you dressing differently or why are you acting differently and that's because they might be depressed yeah like there was a point i didn't take a shower for two weeks and i finally got to the point that i was like i think my therapist can smell me over video chat this isn't good <laughs> like even my dogs would kind of sniff me and look at me kind of weird and i'm like well that's saying something because you guys lick your butts all day and you know we we stop caring you know and it doesn't mean that we're suicidal but at the same time you know we can't read each other's minds i can't you know my friends can't read my mind and know that i'm just depressed and so it's hard to make that judgment call of okay are you actually depressed or do i need to call someone right it's it's impossible to know for sure because again mind reading isn't a thing and a lot of guilt comes from that because and a loved one ends their life and people are thinking oh well this was going on and looking back this was going on okay those same things were going on when they were just depressed and not suicidal it's not your fault but again going with your gut you know if your gut is telling you that there's something else going on go with your gut the worst that's going to happen is you're going to call for a welfare check and they're going to be pissed off at you for a little bit because i was just depressed okay well i just want to make sure that you were going to survive whatever you're going through right you know i tell i tell everyone that you know always check on your friends even the stronger ones don't go 3 to 5 days and not knowing where your friend is at make sure you call them are you okay all it takes is 2 seconds you're never too busy to check on your family members your friend even if it just takes 1 minute or your day check on your friends make sure they're okay go by their house take them for lunch take them for dinner Sometimes yeah. us who pretends that we're so strong sometimes we just need that phone call are you okay so you need somebody to talk to to you need help so if you are at the moment where you can't take it any longer please seek help find somebody that can help you find a therapist call 911 and i appreciate Elliot so much for coming by and sharing his story because he definitely gave me goosebumps and i kind of learned so much on my own struggles with his story I will actually put the 1-800 some resources of suicidal at the end of the show and please if you are going through any suicidal thoughts or any depression anxiety please call 911 please check on your family members please check on your friends don't go weeks without calling them be a good friend and we do get busy and we do have jobs and children but like i mentioned it just takes 1 minute to check on your friends thank you Ellie for coming by and sharing your story 
Thank you for listening, my souls, to yours, a place where we connect our souls and share a story. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.